Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and today we're going to start with a very long, extended version of Guy Talk, or Guys Who Talk, so that means your questions are welcome. However, today our text line is down. In other words, it ain't working. So, the best way to text your questions today, listen to me, I said text. The best way to get your questions (laughs) to us is to use my email address address, which is bill at myfaithradio.com. Bill at myfaithradio.com. So ask any question you like. Maybe there's a question that you've been thinking about for a long time. I've got an extremely smart power panel. Dr. Greg Borgon is joining us today and Jeff Verdorn. That is the panel. So bill at myfaithradio.com will be your place to send your questions. Gentlemen, welcome Greg, hi. It's good to be here. And Jeff, hello. Good afternoon, Bill. Those are the voices you will uh, be hearing this afternoon. All right. Uh, I am looking forward to this. I I think it's going to be great uh, without the text line, uh, because it always is whenever we two or more gather in his name, and uh, he is with us. So let's go ahead. Here's a question I have for you. Um, Does God's wrath make God look bad or us look bad? Hmm. You know, the his wrath, God's wrath, is just as much a part of his character as his love and his mercy and his grace. So his his wrath, his judgments are always good, they're always pure, they're always right. And so it's a part of his character. So so it's on us. It's it's it makes us look bad. You know, in Revelation 16, <laughs> there's a passage when at the end of the tribulation, God is pouring out what is called his bold judgments. There's seven bold judgments at the end of this tribulation period. And during the process of those bowls being poured out, all of heaven says, yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. So yes, it's part of his character, just as much of his, as his love is. But I think it's justified too. I mean, he demonstrates his wrath when it's precipitated by the enemy who tries to destroy his creation. Ooh, I like that. And, you know, when God superintended our formation in our mother's womb, he set the number of days we would live. He gave us a purpose for our life. And the enemy is out there to destroy that. Um, and that's secondary, the d- destruction, because he's really trying to destroy the name of God. And so consequently, God's wrath is against that destruction because God has this beautiful vision for who we are and who he intended us to be. And when the enemy interferes with that, then we see God's justifiable wrath. Hmm. Very good, Dr. Greg Borgon. All right. I heard a pastor who said this about God's wrath, that he said uh, his name was Brian Zond, and he said, His description of hell was, Welcome to God's torture chamber, the almighty God's Auschwitz. Oh, my word. Can you think of anything more ridiculous than that? 
You know, what's interesting is, is that it's another example of failing to take responsibility for our own actions. The reason that somebody is destined for hell or is in hell is because of the decisions they've made. Mm-hmm. And so consequently, it is their responsibility. And so we can't shove that off. And it's very easy for us to project onto a loving God, I mean, that kind of, of, of thing, when we're the ones responsible for the decisions we've made. If we choose to live life on a horizontal plane, devoid of any vertical relationship with our Creator, then everything we turn our hands to do, according to Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, is meaningless, a chasing after the wind, everything under the sun. But we can't plead on one hand full freedom and responsibility in terms of uh, I'm, I'm the captain of my own destiny and mm-hmm. not realize there are consequences to those decisions that we make. And that's one of the most terrible consequences to our decision. God doesn't send us to hell. We choose it. Second <clears throat> Thessalonians 2 says they perish, unbelievers perish, in the wake of fire, right? They're, they're destined for the wake of fire because they refuse to love the truth and thus be saved. So you're you're absolutely right, Greg. It's it's on the person who is lost, but God has to deal with unrighteousness. He is going to make a new heaven and a new earth in which he says nothing unrighteous will ever enter into it. So God has to take care of the unrighteous in some way before he makes this new heaven and new earth and new Jerusalem. And if you think about it, we 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 get after God for his judgment, for his being a righteous judge, and yet we demand it of our court systems, right? On on an earthly basis, yeah. we, nobody would think it would be a good judge if a judge just let a murderer go without any penalty for his no, crime whatsoever. True. So if we take the same standard we apply to earthly judges and apply it to God, that is the heavenly court, and God is sitting, and his judgments are always true and always just. I, I find it really interesting, going back to this passage in Romans chapter 1, and it speaks about the wrath of God, uh, if, if I could just share it with the audience. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, now notice this, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, they may disregard it. It's plain to them um, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him. There goes the res- whose responsibility? Mm-hmm. Honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. Now, these next passages, the next few passages, talk about, and he does this three times. It's a phrase that he says, God gave them up. God gave them up. But let's take a look at this a little further. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the, 
the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So what God is saying is, if you insist on living life on your own terms, and as what uh, Francis Schaeffer called uh, autonomous freedom, there are no restraints. If you insist on living your life that way, I gave you this great gift called free will. You're exercising it, so I'm going to release you to your own desires, knowing full well, Bill, what the consequences are going to be. But if we insist on our own way, God will release us to that. And then the second time he says, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. You insist on living life on your own terms. You insist on living a life of homosexuality. Uh, If you want to live a life that way, I'm going to release you to it knowing full well that there's going to be consequences. Because there's always hope, Bill. God isn't saying, I'm done with you. He's saying, for a season, I'm going to release you. And the desire is for us to come back to his throne and to say, you know what, I was wrong. I blew it. And I need your grace. The Finally, the third one is, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They're filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God is righteous and uh, know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. So back to the question that this or this statement that this person made, we choose that. And God will release us finally um, to our own desires, but it talks about the fact that we deserve this. It's us. It's mm-hmm. our responsibility. All right. One final point, yes, if I Greg. could. Yes, Jeff. Just a reminder that all that from Romans 1 that Greg just talked about is for the unbeliever. Yes. If you are a believer, you are not under the wrath of God. Amen. We're going to continue this because I've got a couple more things to discuss. Uh, but you are listening to Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. Dr. Greg Borgon and Jeff Verdorn are my power panel today. And because the text line is down, I'm going to encourage you to use my email address. That's bill at myfaithradio.com. Bill at myfaithradio.com. We'll be right back. Listen to Faith Radio Live or on demand no matter where you go. Download the free Faith Radio app in your app store today. (laughs) Jeff, don't make me laugh. We're kind of back with our... Sounds like the Dewey Brothers, but it's really not. <laughs> oh, that's bumper music. <laughs> <laughs> but it's royalty-free, which is it. a big deal now. All right. Welcome to Guide Talk, or Guys Who Talk. 
Jeff Verdorn and Dr. Greg Borgond is my power panel today. And we were just talking about um, God's wrath and how righteous God's wrath is and how um, loving God is in everything he does. And this pastor, I'd gotten this video, and I want to say his name was Brian Zahn. I guess he's out of Michigan, and he's got a big influence in Canada. And And he talks about angry God preaching. That's what a lot of people have done, apparently, in the past. And he said, I saw angry God preaching as a legitimate means of scaring people into accepting Jesus. And he says, the end justifies the means, getting people to respond to the altar call because uh, you're preaching a mean God. So you threaten them with an angry God so they'll accept a merciful Jesus, kind of a good cop, bad cop kind of thing. As we talked about in the last segment, God's judgment, his wrath is part of his character. The fact, the reality that if you are an unbeliever, which we also talked about in the last segment, there is a destiny that God has prescribed for you. Those who are brought before the great white throne judgment, their names will not be found in the Lamb's book of life, Revelation says, and they'll be thrown into the lake of fire, and the lake of fire is the second death. That's the reality. But God's heart, his desire is that none should perish, that all come to repentance. God takes no pleasure in the death of anyone. The cross of Christ was motivated by God's love, not by his wrath. He demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So because he loves us so much, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, he he provided his son as a sacrifice, uh, a, an atonement for mankind's sin to open the door to salvation. So that, as also as we talked about last segment, that whosoever believes using our own free will, you believe it, you then accept this free gift of salvation by his grace. What a beautiful story. God's not angry. God loves us. You know, it, what's, what's interesting to me, I would suspect that this individual would be um, a person who would defend uh, righteous indignation. So if you take a continuum, on one end is righteous indignation, and the other end is anger, where's the crossover point? So you can't, on one hand, embrace um, the need for righteous indignation against uh, something that's unjust, and all of a sudden give it that kind of a title without also acknowledging that it stirs up within you an anger against that injustice. And so consequently, um, it, it is a continuum, but the harm that's done uh, deserves the wrath of God for the sake of everyone else because we don't live um, by ourselves. We're always in this ecosystem called humankind that I suffer the consequences of somebody else's sin. It wasn't me who committed that sin. It could be a company that dumps waste into a river that ends up poisoning the drinking water and causes cancer in a village. Mm-hmm. The village wasn't wrong. The people who live in the villages wasn't wrong. It was the the corporation that dumped that toxic waste that caused the problem. But we all suffer underneath um, sin and the consequences of it, even though we may not be the perpetrator of it. You know, C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, describes that in a metaphor using a fleet of ships going on the same course through the ocean. And some will say, well, I don't care what the other ship does. 
It's up to them. They can do whatever they want. There's no rules. You know, we're free to be whatever we want until the ship turns and rams you into the side and then suddenly they care and suddenly they need to, they want rules and they want people to be punished for doing wrong and so on when it's against them. So you're absolutely right. Mm. I was talking to someone at the gym this week and he was talking about when he was a college student going to the campus uh, center where there were oftentimes preachers kind of preaching fire and brimstone. And he said, I would go there and just make fun of them. So that must, must be a fairly um, specific style of, of talking about God that is a big turnoff for people. Well, you know, in, in this day and age, and you, we've talked about this on your program, Bill, uh, it's probably too simple to, to create these two categories. But in essence you're, essence, you're either dealing with a skeptic or you're dealing with a, a cynic. And a skeptic has a threshold at which um, once that threshold is reached and their questions are answered, they'll seriously consider the gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, a cynic thinks they have all the answers. So the approach to addressing a skeptic and a cynic is, in a skeptic, you simply answer the questions they're asking. In a cynic, you simply question the answers they're giving. But Scripture says, with gentleness and reverence. Yes. You don't have to beat somebody over the head. The Holy Spirit is perfectly capable of convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He doesn't need my help. Mm -hmm. So if that style of preaching is a turnoff to many people, and I would suspect it probably is to to some people, the fact of the matter is that in this day and age, um, we have the grace we, we understand how the story ends, we understood how it began, and we have the gospel. But it's up to the, the Spirit to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. We have to be the purveyor of truth. Some time ago, I, I wrote on the topic of, of a formula. It was S equals R over E. S can stand for satisfaction, significance, or success. R stands for reality and E stands for expectations. The best thing that a person who comes into a company that's um, struggling is to find a basis of reality, establish that truth, and then adjust your expectations against that reality. In this particular case, my perceptions on morality fails. So the idea is that when we talk about sin and we talk about its devastation, let's call it like it is. Let's go ahead and make sure that we have a grasp of of the truth of the situation, and then we adjust our expectations against that truth. So God is calling it for what it is. The one thing I love about the Bible, it's not politically correct. I mean, you, you hear the heart of God, not only in his love, I mean, it's like, Raising a child and they do something wrong, it doesn't mean that you don't love them anymore. It simply means that your fellowship is broken. There's a relational uh, chasm that's been created by disobedience. And obviously a parent, and God included, loves the world. It's, he, he, his son died for the world. But the fact of the matter is, is that we have broken our relationship with him and consequently, that doesn't mean he doesn't love us, but that relationship is broken and needs to be restored. And he even provides the avenue for that restoration. Mm. 
I don't know if I'm super strong in math, Greg, but if I look at your formula here, S equals R over E, mm-hmm. if I just have low expectations, then I'll be really successful? Is that, is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, if, if, you, <laughs> if, you, if you live in what A.W. Tozer called the misty lowlands of mediocrity, I doubt that there are many people that are listening get up in the morning and say, I just can't wait to be mediocre today. I remember today. that. <laughs> Greg, Greg, did you read my, my rules on math on this show? Because... <laughs> I specifically, on page number nine, says there's no math on this show. <laughs> and you have violated that rule. So I'm a little little irritated right now. But anyway, this is Guy Talk, Dr. Greg Borgon and Jeff Redorn on my power panel today. And because the text line is down, I'm going to ask you to send questions to my email address, bill at myfaithradio.com, bill at myfaithradio.com. Here's a question that came in at bill at myfaithradio.com. Do people know when they are close to passing on to the other side? In, you mean lying on a on a deathbed or just walking down the street? Or That's a good question. I don't know. You know, I, I have heard way too many stories of someone uh, towards the end of life that just seemed to have a sense that their time here were about to end, mostly almost exclusively believers, by the way, mm-hmm. and were, were truly joyfully waiting for th- that next uh, reality, uh, being in heaven with the Lord Jesus. Um, Tom, you know, who's often on the show on Thursdays, Pastor Tom, wrote a whole book about experiences where people in hospice care approaching death suddenly see or hear or experience something like perfect love and true light and whatever, and uh, and that ushers their way into the next, next existence. Um, but I don't know that that anybody just walking down the street would have the same kind of experience. Well, yeah, tomorrow at 12.15, it looks like I'm, <laughs> I'm headed well, I have uh, heard, elsewhere. I have heard stories of people that might be in extended hospice care or in hospice yeah. care, and and they're, they're, you hear the story that they're not giving up until... You know, their son gets back from Australia, and then the son takes three days to get there, and the son comes in and says hi to mom or dad, and then an hour later, they're gone. I had a good friend. uh, His name's Don. He was not a believer. Um, In fact, he ran ran numbers for a while in South Minneapolis for a a good part of his younger adult life, Uh, but his mom was in hospice care in the hospital, and she was a believer in Christ. And she had been preaching to Don for years and years and years, and he always resisted it. And on her deathbed, in fact, about 20 minutes before she died, she said, "She said, Don, I'm going to die really soon. I think I'm going to die today. So she had a, a sense, mm. and she said, and, and God told me that one day you're going to accept Christ. And within three months, he accepted Christ as his Savior and is a strong believer today. Beautiful. All right, we'll take a little break. We'll be right back with plenty of guy talk today, so let me know what your questions are. Today, you need to send them to me via my email address, which is bill at myfaithradio.com. Bill at myfaithradio.com. That last question we just uh, answered. I hope, Logan, that gives you a a good answer. If you have another uh, follow-up to that, let me know. Otherwise, we'll be right back with Jeff Verdorn and Dr. Greg Borgon in just a minute.
It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time, let's get it started. Jump in your car, what's for dinner? It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. It is the afternoon. I am Bill Arnold. I'm so glad to have Jeff Ferdorn and Dr. Greg Borgon here today as my power panel for Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk because our text line is having some technical difficulties. If you can send your questions to bill at myfaithradio.com, I will get them. Here's a question that came in at bill at myfaithradio.com. Thank you for your clear and straightforward answers. I look forward to your Guy Talk Hour, even though I'm a woman. I'm not understanding chosen. I've been told multiple times throughout my life by pastors, a random minister I met for five minutes, and a couple solid Christian friends. Please help me understand. Chosen before birth or chosen because I say yes? I'll go anywhere for the name of Jesus. So the the heart of this question really is, does God choose some for salvation and therefore choose others not unto salvation. And where I like to start, I think, on this one is God does choose. He does a lot a lot of choosing in Scripture. God chose Abram of Ur to come, leave his country, go to the promised land, and be the father of many nations, and the world would be blessed through him. But so he chose Abraham. He says, God says that he chose Moses. Moses was chosen to lead his people out of Israel. Uh, he chose kings. He chose prophets. It even says in scripture of the 12 disciples that Jesus says, did I not choose you, the 12? Um, there's many examples of God choosing people in scripture, but it's never to salvation, it's to a purpose or a role. And you see that clearly. For example, Abraham was chosen by God, but how was Abraham saved? He was saved by faith. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He chose the 12. But if if this choosing is unto salvation, well, then those who say that God chooses some to salvation have to explain Judas. Judas was chosen by God as one of the 12 but he's clearly not saved. So being cho—actually, Jesus is chosen. Jesus is called the chosen one of God in Scripture, and yet it's not chosen unto salvation. Jesus didn't need salvation. He is salvation. So we see the distinction between God choosing for a purpose or role. Paul was the chosen apostle to the Gentiles. I mean, we could go on. God chooses a lot, but it's never in Scripture unto salvation. Yeah, there's another aspect of this, and hopefully this will be an encouragement to the audience. Some of us living our life wonder why we even were born, or um, is there any purpose to my life? Um, Am I a happenstance or a coincidence or a mistake? The fact of the matter, none of that is true. It says again in Psalm 139 that God superintended your formation in your mother's womb, He knew you before you ever were. He set the number of days you would walk this earth. So the fact of the matter is, you were on the heart of God, chosen to be born. You were on the heart of God before you ever came to be. And not only that, when you take a look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, 
it says that God has prepared a unique purpose for each of us. He said that he prepared in advance for us to do. So we're chosen to do something. The idea is, is that when you tune your heart to the heart of God, you begin to get this picture of the committed passion he places in your soul, which is directly related to the purpose he wants you to facilitate in a fallen world. For some unfathomable reason, infinite God has chosen us as his finite creatures to facilitate his redemptive purposes in a fallen world. Go figure. Go figure. (laughs) If we were the ones that made that choice, we probably wouldn't choose us. But God did. So in that respect, you're chosen. You're chosen. And so the idea is, is that you need to come into a saving relationship so he can unwrap this amazing gift package that he's prepared in advance for you so that you can be all who God intended you to be and facilitate his redemptive purposes in a fallen world. Yeah, you, br- you really bring up two gr- great points because of all the people that are chosen, the church is also described as be- being chosen. And just as you said, Greg, we're chosen for a, a purpose, a role. We are chosen to be holy and blameless in this world. We are cho- mm-hmm. called, chosen to share the gospel. We are chosen to do good works. We're chosen to be light in this world. That chosen in Scripture, when it, when God says we are a chosen people, is to mean we are his called out ones. We've been chosen to be his ministers of reconciliation in this world. It also brings up a key point whenever this topic is discussed, is does God know who is going to believe and be saved, and who is not. That's the foreknowledge of God. And yes, it says in Scripture that we were in his Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. But just because God knows the future doesn't mean he causes it in in in, in a way that some want to teach that, well, some are predestined or, or chosen unto salvation. So God's foreknowledge, of course, he knows the end from the beginning. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He knows everything that's going to happen, and he knows from before we were born who's in the Lamb's book of life. But that foreknowledge is, is doesn't mean he causes some to be saved and others not to be saved. One of the ro- most robust passages I've, I've found in Scripture that talks about the intricacies of the gospel not only about the benefits that accrue to your account when you receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. And, and as I've said on your show before, Bill, nowhere in the Bible does it say you, have to, you should accept Jesus because who's accepting whom? It says you must receive him, something that you didn't earn. But the passage is Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. It says, For the grace of God, which is a metaphor for Jesus Christ, has appeared, bringing salvation for not some people that have been chosen. It says, for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So as soon as you're saved, you don't climb into a fetal position with your bag pack waiting for Christ to come. He has work for you to do. (laughs) Like Greg Rochelle says, if you're not dead, you're not done. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, talking about his deity, both God and man, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. 
So there's the unique purpose for all the followers of Christ. And I, I always, <laughs> it bothers me, frankly, when people dichotomize their salvation into two quadrants, two, two, two areas. One is receiving Jesus as Savior, and sometime later, maybe I'll go ahead and bend my knee and understand I'm under new management, and I'll receive him as Lord, when it was always meant to be one step, period. That for all you know God to be in Jesus Christ, you receive him as Savior, and the benefits accrue to you, justification at the moment of salvation, adoption into the family of God, regeneration, um, the Spirit takes up uh, 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 in, in, in your life. All of that happens instantaneously. So there are a number of benefits to receiving Jesus. But it also, in this passage, talks about not only are there benefits that accrue to your account, but you are now a member of my family. Therefore, you're to represent me, and you're under new management. And there are certain obligations, certain duties and responsibilities as a member of my family. And so the power of this passage, especially as it begins to answer the question that was originally raised, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, not just some, not just those who have been hand-selected and others not selected. It says for all people. It it does. I mean, when you... The, the chosen doctrines, the theology surrounding that, um, you know, we could get into some of the, the five points of TULIP, the T-U-L-I-P. Greg, what you were kind of going at mm-hmm. is that this idea that somehow Christ's work or God's work on the cross is limited in some way, the L of TULIP. I mean, Scripture says that Jesus on the cross is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, believer's sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. I think that was First John 2, 2, I believe. So it's clear that Christ's work on the cross is not limited. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the Savior of all men. Yep. There's so many alls in Scripture that he wishes none to perish and for all to come to repentance. That is God's heart. So I I see in Scripture a God who, who loves all, who came to this earth to die for the sins of all, who offers salvation to all, and says, Whosoever believes will receive those benefits that you were just talking about of salvation, including the gift of eternal life, which is a really big benefit, <laughs> right? Eternal life. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, what's interesting also is understanding the forgiveness that we receive. There's two types of forgiveness. There's positional forgiveness, and then there's relational forgiveness. Positional forgiveness, um, Christ's righteousness is imputed, handed over to you like a robe. You're covered in his glory and in, in his holiness, everything has been covered. So positionally, you have standing before your heavenly Father. But because we sin, and because we choose to live our life on occasion independent of him, that relationship, even though it was established at the cross, is broken in terms of the fellowship to be enjoyed. So when you ask for forgiveness after having come to the cross because of a sin you've committed, it has nothing to do with your positional standing. That's been fixed in the heavens. It has everything to do with your relational standing with your heavenly father in terms of just like a father whose son disobeyed him, and we talked about that very briefly, doesn't mean that the father all of a sudden he's no longer his son. 
It simply means the relationship is broken. Until the son comes to acknowledgement of whatever has caused that division and asks for forgiveness, that relationship is broken. But positional forgiveness is forever. Relational forgiveness is necessary to restore an established relationship. So bringing it all the way back to the question, as we wrap up this segment maybe, she said, are we chosen? Believers are chosen. We are a chosen people. Colossians 3.12 says, uh, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, what you were just talking about, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, and so on. So God has made us holy. He's now called us to live holy in this world. Ephesians 4.1 says, therefore, live out this calling that you have received. God's given us a, a, a calling to live holy, blameless lives in this world. He set us apart for his purposes. All right, we'll take a little break, and when we come back, lots more guide talks, so get your questions over to me. This day only is via email, bill at myfaithradio.com. Hopefully that's easy to remember, bill at myfaithradio.com. Send your questions over. Dr. Greg Borgon and Jeff Verdorn are my power panel today. We're going to have lots more guide talk ahead, so get your questions over, and we'll be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. Are you having a good day? Has your day been good? I hope so. Let me know how I can pray for you if you're not having a good day. You can email me that too at bill at myfaithradio.com. I like to get up super early and pray. So I'm, I'm up in the wee hours of the morning praying. So if you want to send me a prayer request, I'd be more than happy to pray. Bill at myfaithradio.com. This is Guy Talker, Guys Who Talk. My power panel is Jeff Verdorn and Dr. Greg Borgond. So, uh, gentlemen, let's see. I have Christian friends who got pregnant out of wedlock, and they um, expect you to react the same way as if they were married. What's the right response in this situation? <laughs> <laughs> you guys just we both that. looked at each yeah, other. They both looked at each other and nodded. You go first. Well, you know, it's interesting. Right? We live in a fallen world, of course, and people are going to sin. But you can't condone somebody's sin you can love them unconditionally. Uh, what I mean by unconditionally is regardless of the sin that they've committed, that's how God loves us, is, is unconditionally. Mm. So the fact of the matter is, is that there are going to be consequences to even that decision. That child that's born out of wedlock, um, the pressure it's going to create um, that c- could have been avoided had it been done uh, in accordance with God's uh, dictates and his precepts which are always meant for our best health, but man sins. And so let's say, for instance, that one of my grandsons uh, ends up having a child out of wedlock. Does it mean that I'm going to go ahead and disavow them? They can't darken my door until they get their act together. 
Not at all, but every one of my grandsons know exactly where I am without me even having to tell them. Why? Because I've tried to live in front of them in bold relief my faith in the same direction intentionally and purposely. They don't even have to ask if Papa agrees. That's what they call me. If Papa agrees or not, they know that by the way in which I live my life. And I've said this again on your show in the past. Nobody really cares what you have to say until they observe how you live. And if you live a life of integrity and honor under God's authority, people will ultimately want to hear what you have to say, even if they disagree with you. Why? Because they cannot get past a life well lived. If you want to speak volumes to your children, do it from the perspective of a life well lived. And at some point in time, they'll come to you and say, I really blew it. Here's what happened. Because they know they're going to be loved, but it doesn't mean that their behavior is condoned. Mm. And so we have to make that distinction to make sure that that's understood and then to do everything we can, not as a sage on a stage, but a guide by the side to come alongside of them in the middle of uh, the problem that they're now facing and help them to walk that road without sacrificing our beliefs and values on the altar of expediency. I like that answer, Papa. <laughs> that was a good answer. I agree. That, that's. I think we have to get to the point, and that's what you basically describe is, we need to love the person uh, but hate the sin, and we have to make that distinction. Yeah. Nice job. All right. I'm looking for um, anyone in my listening family today that um, is from a Catholic uh, background or perspective, still worshiping at the Catholic faith, because this question is about why do Catholic people worship Mary— mother of Christ, and, and do Hail Marys rather than just go straight to the source, which would be Christ, Jesus, and God. Mm. So that was the question, and I don't know if the three of us can answer that, but maybe there's a, a, someone who has a better understanding of that that can send me the answer, bill at myfaithradio.com. I have a friend who is uh, good friends with a, um, a guy who just is getting uh, ordained, and he's, I've met with him for breakfast, and I think I'm going to try to get him on the show because he'll be a great resource. He's going to become a, a priest, I think. Ordination is this weekend. It's interesting. I grew up as a Roman Catholic. Um, I went to a parochial school for the first 12 years of my life. Then you life. answer the question, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm going to try to. All right. Um, and I used, it, I was an altar boy, and I served for the bishop whenever the bishop came into town until I got benched. Why'd you get benched? Uh, I got benched because I got caught eating unblessed hosts in the cassock locker. The cassock is what the altar boys wear. I figured if if I hid in the cassock yeah. locker, the priest would never find yeah. me. Yeah, I did that too, but I just didn't get caught. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I had half of the bag. These honey wafers were They're, delicious. Yeah. Half of the bag was gone, but he, I got benched for six months. All right. Anyway, people often ask me, you know, you grew up in a Catholic home. Actually, what they did when I was uh, uh, that age in, in grade school, they, they ID'd you very, very young and start to manage your education, leading to a seminary and ultimate sure. priesthood. And that's what I wanted to be, is I wanted to be a priest. Um, but let me tell you the value of my Catholic upbringing. The value was that I was taught about the majesty and sovereignty of God. And I have never forgotten that. When I received Jesus Christ standing over my daughter's crib after coming back from Vietnam, 
in the dark of the night to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. I not only now acknowledged him as sovereign and majesty, but I just was blown away that the sovereign, majestic God wanted fellowship with me and that he loved me. That was the first time in my life I ever felt that unconditional love was standing in front of my daughter's crib when I gave my life to Christ. So I am indebted to my Catholic upbringing because it taught me about the majesty of God. And and, as a matter of fact, after I came to Christ, it always bothered me that my Protestant friends were so trivial with their relationship with God, treating him like a buddy. Um, And... You know, kind of like Phillips in his, talked about um, in terms of your God is too small. The fact of the matter is what made his love for me so significant was it was coming from the throne of majestic, sovereign God. So I'm just so grateful for that upbringing. Um, so that was my experience with, with Roman Catholicism. Now, with regard to the question that was raised... Um, you know, praying to Mary. The fact of the matter is, we know that we can go to the throne of God's grace. We lay our prayers on his altar, and we leave the results to him, and we trust his judgment. We don't have to have an intermediator. Scripture is really clear about that. There's one mediator between heaven and hell, and that's Jesus Christ. But I'm not going to criticize a Roman Catholic for praying to um, you know, Joseph or Mary, I, I don't think it's biblical. What I'm more concerned with is what is the relationship with Jesus Christ? God is perfectly capable of cleaning those pieces up once you come to faith. It doesn't need Borgon to do that. I want to know what the relationship is with Jesus Christ. You know, in the Old Testament, to come before God, you would have to go through the priest, you'd have to bring your sacrifices, and then only the high priest was able or capable of entering into the the most holy place in the temple of God behind the curtain, and only with a proper sacrifice, and only once a year. And there was this whole big process, right? And the average person couldn't come before the presence of God. At the cross, that all changed, right? We have this dramatic picture at the earthquake on the cross, the temple is torn apart, from top to bottom, uh, I think symbolizing that God has a new plan. Yeah. There's a new way in town, right? And it's going to be th- through the person of Jesus Christ. Greg, you mentioned that God describes Jesus as the one mediator between God and man. And and Hebrews describes Jesus as our high priest. Mm-hmm. He is the only one that we can go through. There's no other name under heaven and earth by which we can be saved. He's the one mediator. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's a picture in Revelation when John is being shown this revelation, and in, and at the end in Revelation 22, he bows down to this angel who's been giving him this this visions, all these, these series of visions, and he says, no, don't bow down before me, John. I'm just a, a servant of the Most High God. Worship God alone. Yeah. So I don't think we should worship or pray to any man or angel except God. All right, gentlemen, uh, we're getting close to the end of this hour, but rumor has it hmm. that uh, Guy Talk is going to continue 
I don't know who's going to be participating, but it's, <laughs> it's going to continue. Let's do a quick head count here. Jeff Dorn, are you going to be around? I'm in. You're going to continue, and Dr. Greg Borgon? I'll be here. Greg, we get paid overtime for this. Yeah. No, yeah, actually, yeah, you big don't. Bucks, big bucks. Now, let me correct that. <laughs> <laughs> there is absolutely no such thing as overtime uh, anything, yeah. just yeah. so you know. we got great questions coming in, and we want to continue today's discussion. So after our break, we are going to uh, have some more guy talk or guys who talk. So make sure you send your questions in today, but... Please use my email, which is bill at myfaithradio.com. Bill at myfaithradio.com. All right, when we come back, the first question I'm going to have is I'm going to ask you guys to open to the book of Judges, chapter 19, verse 21. And it's a kind of a troubling story of the Levite told to throw out his concubine out to the men outside the door knowing that harm would be done to her. That is a disturbing thought for this listener. So when we come back at the to- after the top of the hour, we're going to start by addressing uh, Judges 19.21 with lots more time for guide talk. So get your questions over. Eight, uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> listen to me, creature of habit. Bill email, at email. myfaithradio.com. That's my email address. So, And I would hope you would start each week with a moment of reflection and prayer with our lovely Faith Radio prayer devotional email. You can sign up for that today at myfaithradio.com. We've got a little time between when we end this hour and when we start the next one. So head over to myfaithradio.com. Get that uh, Faith Radio prayer daily devotional. I think you'll like it. So when we come back, uh, more with uh, Jeff Verdorn and Dr. Greg Borgon. Again, questions to bill at myfaithradio.com. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.